Hello, my name's Dave Jordan, and welcome to the first episode of the Active Minds podcast, which aims to open up honest conversations on our mental health, celebrate stories of people's resilience through the most challenging times, as well as to explore and share the things that help us with healing, positive change, and happiness. My first guest on the podcast is a dear friend of mine who I've known for coming up to 23 years. I first met Matt Barr when he rocked up to do a ski season in Maribel in 1996 with an epic crew of characters that made up a lot of the early pioneers of British snowboarding, including Chris Moran, Scott Nixon, Ewan Wallace, Leslie McKenna, and in subsequent seasons, Ed Lee, Spencer Claridge, and Stu Brass. Matt has many strings to his bow and functions on a different level to most mere mortals, although interestingly, as you'll hear from the interview, he struggles with acknowledging and celebrating his achievements something he's working on. His lifelong strategy of applying a dogged work ethic and a sharp logical intellect to whatever goals he sets himself has meant he's carved out an impressive career and an enviable lifestyle. Matt's a former White Lines editor and freelance journalist, an accomplished musician with a publishing deal under his belt, a co-director of ACM Communications Agency, and the man behind the very successful Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast. Matt gives an open and honest account of his upbringing in Manchester, the influence that strong female characters played in his life, as well as the struggles he faced that went on to shape him. I have a huge amount of love and respect for Matt, and there couldn't be a more fitting guest. I hope you enjoy it. Matt Barr. Welcome to the Active Minds podcast. All right. Thanks for coming on. All right, Dave. How you doing? Yeah, good. How are you getting on in all this? Um, I'm all right. Yeah, I don't have kids, do I? So it's. Um, I read a thing online the other day. It was on Twitter. It said, what's the best thing? What's the thing that helped you most cope with lockdown? And the answer was not having kids, which I think <laughs> all, you know, facetiousness aside is like it's, it's quite a different experience i think for me and my wife than anyone with with children because obviously we just don't have the clearly very stressful and time-consuming predicament of of a homeschooling your kids and now and now b what you do with your kids with this whole school situation so i've actually got quite a lot of free time to be honest mm at the minute and i've i've been quite enjoying it you know are you allowed to say that i don't know that's great to hear yeah i mean it's obviously there are really weird parts to it 30 Mm. to fifty thousand people dead in two months being the main one and the worst recession ever and you know all those all those like things are obviously awful but from speaking to like a lot of friends and from my own experience you know the, the the fact you've had to boil your life down to quite a few simple elements is has been quite a i've i've quite enjoyed that experience i would say mm. yeah the whole kids thing has been quite it does add a different dimension to it in, in terms of juggling work juggling you know lessons and and making sure that they're they're good in themselves but um i th- i think it's been well for me it's been quite a roller coaster some good days some bad and the, the just to help the enormity of the whole thing 
yeah is really quite intense isn't it yeah exactly it's 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 um yeah exactly i mean there's loads to say about that isn't there I, I think the first thing to say is some something's collectively in the post isn't it you know i don't i don't think like and i don't even mean economically which goes without saying that there's going to be a, a reckoning economically just because of the situation but i think i don't think society can go through an experience like this and there not be some kind of you know fallout <laughs> it sounds like such an obvious thing to say but when you think about the numbers involved and the and the the change um and and the bad job i think in the uk we're doing of acknowledging that as you know as a society it it has to have psychic repercussions you know it, mu it, it must do in terms of sort of doing an ostrich on it or just thinking that things are going to go back to as they were uh, I guess, yeah, there's, there's that. I mean, there's, again, there's a few things to say about it, isn't there? I, I think my, I don't, I don't particularly want to talk about, you know, the, the specifics of what's going on with COVID, but I would, one thing I would say about the government approach in the UK is I just feel like it's a real missed opportunity because I feel uh, of leadership, regardless of the individual errors. And this mm. is why I think they're actually, this is why I think they're doing a bad job personally. Um, you know, British society obviously has experienced four years of of conflict, of internal conflict. And part of me when this kicked off, there was about two weeks where I was quite a good collective spirit, wasn't there? And and I and I was, I mean, my politics are left wing, as as you know personally. Yeah. And I was I was backing them. You know, I was like, I was willing them to to do well and to do the right thing. And even would have been prepared to accept obviously the, the the errors and the mistakes because it's such an unprecedented situation but the way they've just tried to they've basically tried to do the same thing they did with brexit which is slogan here and focus group their way through it you know they've they've not been honest they've they've they, they're basically trying to gaslight the whole nation you know no oh, no this is fine this is totally fine like you know and i just think it's a real wasted opportunity and, and the proof that Boris Johnson is not a good leader because it was such an open goal for, for 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 strong leadership you know you could have you could have brought people in you could have said like look you know this is really fucking difficult we're doing our best and I think they would have got so much goodwill from that and I think if they'd have also you know done things like a government of national unity which would never probably have happened with those people but even just been more you know inclusive with the the home nations approach and you know just been less adversarial but they've just they've just reverted to type and i think now what we've got is another culture war basically in the uk mm -hmm. it's like brexit on steroids especially with the raising of the lockdown you know, it's it's another one of these things to argue about. Well, what are you? Are you this? Are you that? And I just, I just feel like it's, it's just, that's just been awful leadership because I don't, I don't think that was necessary at all. And that's a recent part of our public life. Like that is not how it's this like adversarial culture war thing is is really recent. And it does, it, you know, there's an argument about whether there are the fault that brexit showed the fault lines that existed or whatever uh, in the same way that covid is but it is very recent this this mode of discourse and the way that people are with each other and i just feel it's it's such a wasted opportunity i just feel like they could have they, they could have 
shown strong leadership when we really needed it and and they didn't yeah i agree with you and, and i think people are really looking out for something to connect collectively as a as a nation and i think interestingly in ireland like leo leo Baraka, um who was down quite down in the polls before covid broke and the way he's shown leadership from the start and even he, he was a a doctor and chipped in with the, the the you know going back to work actually and just being really decisive and honest yeah. with the public over there and macron did know, it as well didn't he macron and, and macron i mean across europe they've seemed to have just been you know way more decisive and and connected with the with the with the masses i just don't Whereas think they know this, any other way over here i just think they that you know they exist to to, to get power yeah. and they'll do they'll they'll just say whatever they need to say to to retain that position and that and that's so gutting because you know at one point like i say at the beginning i was like surely even surely even this lot must understand like that this situation is 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 past that is beyond that you know you need to rise above that and 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 i feel i feel like some of them have i feel like rishi sunak at least mm. did strike us at the right tone at the beginning when he brought in the furlough scheme and all that you know there was a bit like we're leaving ideology aside we're just going to try and you know however much that was a politician performing but that that's what i mean i just and you're right like there's been such examples of of good leadership and what it's you know to bring it back to what we were saying earlier like it doesn't help does it you know it doesn't help ordinary people deal with this you know like you just said everybody is coping with this in their own way i strongly think there's no right or wrong right now there's just you just try and make the good decisions that you can to, to it's just survival and coping you just try and make good decisions you know like yeah. that that's all you can do whether that's for your own you know your own mental health or like you know i run a business i'm having to make decisions every day that, that affect whether people are going to have jobs or not you know all you can do is you it, my point is it's fucking really hard this situation emotionally yeah. and so you, the last thing you need is is this top-down divisiveness you know as as a nation so i just think all all of these things that we're talking about there's there's, there's going to be a payoff and the other thing you said like what how do i mean when i say it's been a a kind of lack of leadership it it is and again as an idealist idealistic lefty it is a bit of an example an opportunity to kind of rethink the way that we do things collectively and and you've seen glimpses of that like with the furlough scheme again unprecedented state interventions unprecedented um but now that we're talking about coming out of it it's, it's the same old shit it's like oh well we're gonna have to have an era of austerity and we're not going to go near corporate tax evasion and and you know we're going to try and rush the airline the aviation industry back rather than think well is you know like all these this crisis has really shown that a lot of these industries are, are fucked you know mm. like and they're not and it begs the question should they be supported and bankrolled to recover and again those questions are in uh, they're in the post you know with if you're going to be serious about dealing with things like climate change or actually even more immediately check like changing these economic imbalances that are clearly built into our way of living i mean let's that's evident from this crisis you know at least at Absolutely. least when are you going to get a better opportunity to try and solve these problems when you know it's, it's it'll never happen again you wouldn't have thought and again it's just like okay well let's all go back to work and if some if some people die 
tough shit. There's risks in life. You know, it's 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 because you're right. People are really desperate and receptive to someone to come along and and come up with something new and different. And you just you, know, you just want good catch the moment. You just want good leadership. You know, that's mm. that's what this needs. And I, I, you know, clearly they don't have it in them. That's that, that, that that's been proven. You know. Yeah. So I just and how. Go on. How, how, how do you, um, how's it affecting you and your business, you know, ACM? Uh, my, you know, our business is, is, do, is doing okay. I think all things considered, like obviously we've lost work. We've, like th- that there have been repercussions, you know, we've had to use the furlough scheme. Um, we've applied for grants, you know, we've done all that stuff. I feel, I, you know, we're, we're quite lucky. It turns out because we're such a niche, a, so that's, kind of protected us a little bit you know we're not public facing which is huge mm-hmm. you know that in the lottery of business right now not being a public facing business is you've already won because you you've, you've still got a revenue stream so i actually count myself very fortunate right now given how bad it is for everybody else i i've got no idea what the future holds i feel positive about the future we you know we're a marketing agency we're relying on budgets and and working with brands and the brands that we work with all seem pretty robust and yeah so i I feel pretty positive really and and also strangely i probably feel less stressed about work than i felt in a long time because you know this has been quite a pitiless situation you know you've had to as you know it's like you run you run a business you've had to like and any like anything that you've been avoid any (laughs) paving stone you've been avoiding looking under you know you can't you can't do that anymore so all those things that i probably you know we're in the we're in the in the back burner of like oh i wonder what would happen if you know when you're in bed and then you're like oh i don't want to think about that you know you've had to deal with them things and and as is always the case it's it's never it's better to have those things out in the open you know it's better not to bury those things and i feel quite positive because of that because i've had to i've had to deal with those things you know had to deal with like maybe losing clients um losing income not being able to work in the way that we normally work that's that's like every day now we're having to deal with that and we're surviving so you know yeah i mean it seems to me a lot of it is is about adaptability i mean everything's changing and it's those businesses that can restructure and adapt quickly um and and it's 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 sort of day-to-day stuff isn't it you can't you can't plan in the future no i mean we were quite lucky with the timing because we went remote as a business in february just just as a decision that we made because we thought it'd be better for the staff and it would be better for us as a business so we were actually you know serendipitously like we were very set up for it when it happened which you know which is huge for us because it just it, there was no blip for us you know a lot obviously so many companies went from like office to work from home and we'd spent six months actually setting all that up anyway so so you were ahead of the game well i just think that was just very you know i mean it's trivial stuff but on the timing of this we were lucky in a few ways you know like if it was ever going to happen at a part if there's one time of the year it would be good for for us as a company for it to happen it was when it did yeah you know yeah. because that's just the, the cycle of how we work so but yeah i think you're right i think you just it's 
that's been the weirdest part about work actually getting used to you know i'm somebody that likes likes to plan you know likes to know what's going on and you can't really have that anymore so early on yeah, I, early on i made the decision to only think in three month blocks and and i kind of said that to the guys that i work with i said like the management team at acm i said like we can only we can only think in three months at a time let's just try and get to the end of june and like and then at the beginning of june let's look at it again if we try and we'll go mad if we if we you know if we if we like with every change we try and react to it we'll never we'll never keep up you know let's just set a scenario that we can work to and then and that that that, that really helped because you're quite a systems driven guy you like you like things organized and planned out you're very structured so losing that control or that sense of control was that difficult initially um yeah it's always difficult for me <laughs> you know yeah. like i'm as you rightly say i'm somebody that thrives on routine you know there's a there's a quite a well-known quote by Flaubert who wrote Madame Bovary like French writer and it's I can't quite remember what it is but it's like be orderly in your day like a bourgeois so you can be violent in your work you know it's like have have the platform have the routine to give to give you that platform to do what you need to do and that's that's certainly true in my case not that I'm claiming my works particularly um you know what I'm saying though like I've just realized that in I kind of work best in those situations and, and work hard to to set to set life up to have that structure because I know it's not good for my mental health if I don't have it and it's I, I don't work as well and 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 you know and that's I'm somebody that's got 50 projects on the go all the time I've always been like that I've just come to accept that's just a weird thing that i have as part of my motor you know well it's it, it's functioning on, on, a, on a on a different level well that but I, you know i've always been like that and if and that's not going to change you know that's that's something that just that is in, is in me so if i'm going to do that and not get spun out by it then i kind of need this so you've adapted it to to, to three months and just yeah working off that. yeah i mean i've had that's to great. i've had to give up a lot of that control and to be honest I've just been trying to give myself permission, which isn't that easy for me, um, to chill the fuck out. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like that that cheesy thing about just be kind to yourself, you know. Yeah. And if if you don't my, you know, my wife's brilliant. My wife's always like, you know, obviously she's a good friend of yours as well. Like she's always like, No one gives a shit what you do. You know, the only person that gives a shit is you. And it's I heard, I heard that on on the interview with Terry that you did, and I loved it. Yeah, yeah. No one no one gives a fuck. Yeah, and she's she's <laughs> she's always there to say that to me when I need it. You know, if I'm it's getting great. if I'm getting like stressed about the fact that I haven't edited the, the the latest podcast, whatever, you know, she'll be like, "What the fuck? Just put it out tomorrow." Like anyone's going to notice, you know, like. But that's one of the things w with COVID, I think it's forced people into this uh, time to reflect. And most people are just on autopilot. They go to work and it's all, 
you, you know, it, it, you, you never, a lot of people never choose to actively sit down and contemplate and, and really think about stuff. And to be forced into that can be deeply uncomfortable for a lot of people and re- a lot of relationships, I'd imagine. Um, yeah, I think it's, I don't think it's an easy thing to do at all. Mm. And I I think I've just learned over the years personally what I'm what I'm like. And you know what what I was saying about the routines is also funny because I am massively contradictory as well, like we all are, but I have to try and balance that with this other thing that I have, which is wanting to travel and go away and do stuff. And mm. you know, again, I've always had that as well. And I've always sort of tried to organize my life so I got to, to do that stuff. But there's a bit of a there's a bit of a battle with that you know like and i these days i've sort of i've just come to think of it as like a feast and famine thing and i even think with me it's almost linked to seasons which is fucking weird because that's that's like a recent thing that i've kind of realized i kind of get i kind of live a certain way for a certain period of time like i'll go away when it's the winter and you know linked linked to work and that's obviously not a routine led life and that's quite a hectic life and i can enjoy that to a certain point but then after up to a point it's famine time when i've got to come home get up at five do yoga every day whip myself not drink and like i don't know i don't know what where that comes from but it is real and it is it is something that i've realized a lot of my unhappiness came from because i didn't recognize that conflict within me it's like the Uh most middle class first world tiniest violin shit ever you know i i understand that but a lot of this stuff is isn't it because you kind of look in you just try to understand what makes you personally operate or makes you i'm not even going to use the word happy but like that is that is good that means you can have an even keel you know so i've come to realize I don't think that I don't that was quite a recent thing that I realized that 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 is that is real with me. So to bring it back to what we're talking about I think this uh, on the covid coping thing the fact that I've just been able to have a routine for 12 weeks and has has been really good for me because because a lot of the time I've I know I really should probably live like this more you know um but I don't because I'll have an opportunity to do something else and I'll take it and then I'll go back into that cycle. So for the first time in my adult life, I've actually kind of broken that cycle really. Um, and it's been, it's been an interesting experience. Definitely. Yeah. It's, I mean, that, even saying that it's, uh, it shows real self-awareness, doesn't it? And that's where, it, where it all starts. But, but I wonder like with the, with the work and stuff, like you said, you've always got 20 projects on the go and you're traveling here and there and the sort of standards you set yourself are pretty, pretty intense. And, and has pausing with this been forced to pause? Has that given you time to reflect on all of that? Um, do you mean reflect on it or relax it or both? Well, well just shine a torch on it. Yeah. Like I say, yeah. I mean, it, it it definitely has, but our friend Sean said to me the other week, like you'd be busy in a cave, you you know, and it, and it's like 
it, it it's kind of all that's happened is I've found new stuff to do, you know, mm. and that and that so, and I'm aware of that, you know, and I just try and be yeah I try to get better at being reflective and aware of that because it because it's not because also you know I'm married like I say, and it's not really fair on Alima if I'm not aware of that. You know, I try and I try and be aware of it because if I'm not on it, it makes me more difficult to live with and it makes me a less nice person. So um, you know, I, I, I can I can definitely not be a nice person if I'm not feeling mentally good. So I just try and be conscious of that really. So mm. I'm not saying it's something that I think about all like a lot, you know. But I'm just, I just try and be aware of it, really. And just before I go on to another question, just briefly, Matt, what, what, what do you take the, the impact of this on, on the action sports industry as a whole and, and the Alps? As you know, I've had, I've run a business in the Alps um, for the last twenty years, and it just seems, yeah, it's pretty. Well, it's the, I mean, it's the leisure. Them. It's the leisure industry, isn't it? I think. I think the question is, what's it gonna? You know, ultimately, those like that that industry that we're lucky enough to work in, like whether you call it action sports, the French Alps, like whatever it is, you know, it's part of the it's part of the leisure industry. So there's there's travel involved involved in that. There's holidays, you know, like for there's retail in my case. There's you know for for that industry to operate effectively all of those things need to be working well and none of those things are working well right now but mm. it's just part of that wider conversation isn't it which is that industry is just one industry that's got the same problem which is like how do we get moving again and uh i i, I just think you know ultimately we're faced society's faced with a question of how much risk are we prepared to accept to try and get back to the way that we used to live i mean it's that simple isn't it and and that the answer to that question will dictate whether those industries open up and to what degree i have a job really so i and me. exactly I, I try not to really concern myself with that i know that probably sounds weird but that's such a big issue what, it what, certainly not, doesn't fall in between the three-month plan, that's for sure. What possibly can I do about that? I can't do anything about that. So this is what I've been saying to everybody as a bit of a stock answer is if that industry isn't moving, if there's no winter next year, then we're all fucked really. You know, the comments that I made about reorganizing society earlier, notwithstanding, but fact of the matter is we are set up to live this way we are economically set up for society to operate in this way if we haven't answered the question about how much risk we're prepared to accept as a society to get back to business as normal if that hasn't been answered to the point that at the end of this year or the end of next year there's no travel industry moving there's no leisure industry moving then we've got severe problems uh, yeah. like yeah. beyond like what what we're actually talking about i mean we we were literally be on uncharted territory so i i think they're going to try and for a specific answer i think they're going to try and open i think they're going to i think they will try and 
I suppose. Well, they've said they've said they're they're gonna they're planning to open the the lifts in Courchevel and Latania. So yesterday, yeah, I uh, think I think for the for the summer, I think the answer to the question is how much risk are we prepared to take? I how quickly are we prepared to open the lifts? I think the answer is going to be quite upsetting to a lot of people. I think I think the answer is going to be we're actually prepared to take quite a lot of risk if we can get this moving. And I think that's why the public conversation is shifting and becoming increasingly volatile right now, isn't it? Because, and this is why you've got this kind of culture war what side are you on? You know, are you- a... Well, something has to happen. Something has to move. It, and I think it, I think it will move. I think, I think yeah. people, and the, and the, my brands I work with when I've spoken to them, they're like, yeah, we'll we'll we're we're working next season. Like we're we're gonna have a winter. Yeah. We can't not have one. So yeah, I think it'll I think it'll happen. Yeah, yeah, finger fingers crossed. Um well on a hopefully on a more cheery note. <laughs> uh, it's hard to avoid. I mean I do want I do a podcast a week and every time I'm like Okay, I won't talk about COVID again. <laughs> <laughs> I did think but well we had to talk about it and it's yeah, it's good. It's uh yeah, Fing- fingers crossed with everything. Uh, anyway, back to you, Matt. Um, yeah, just uh, well, while I was researching all this, I realised that we've known each other for coming up to twenty-five years. Yeah, how, how men- mental side. Yeah, I know. Like ninety, met you ninety so ninety-five, ninety-six. No, my first season was ninety-seven, ninety-eight. So it's actually ah, about twenty-two okay. years. Yeah. yeah, first thing so I did from my research. First thing, I, well, you know, it's a while ago, isn't it? First thing we did when we got to Maribel was go and see you play. Really? Yeah. That. Wow, what a welcome! Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> night. Yeah. So just to put that in in, in some context, I I'd been out there in in um, playing in duos for a good probably five years, and. Um, yeah, just pl- playing in all the local bars around Marybell. And then Matt and, and this crew of uh, reprobates, <laughs> Chris Moran and the crew, came up and, uh, yeah, just w- w- we started playing a little bit together and just snowboarding together. And Yeah, good times. Fantastic times. Mm. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so what, what, are your, what are your fondest memories of, of those days, apart from... Just snowboarding all day, playing music and fondest memories partying. of those days. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's which your twenties, isn't it? Like, um, it it was a re- it was undeniably a really great time. Like, you know, um, very lucky to to have that opportunity. Obviously, I had a pretty good gig because I was me and Chris, the friends you just mentioned, were uh, running a snowboarding magazine out from the French Alps. So we had a pretty pretty good good number going on. Um, so did you get that straight after coming, uh, uh, finishing your degree in Sheffield? You, yeah. you got a, a job of white lines, yeah. both of you? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'd started working for white lines when I was at university. And okay. then when I finished, which was 97, um, Chris, I mean, it's, Chris, it's, it's all credit to Chris. You know, Chris was, Chris was like, we like let's just see if we can get a job with them full time because they've can't afford to pay people so we could do it get enough money to pay for a season and, and do it from out there 
so that's what we did so we we kind of pitched them that and they obviously kind of said yes because we were offering to produce the whole magazine for very little money because you know it was like back then you could do a season for like two grand so yeah <laughs> so like you know we just needed a few grand really each so yeah so we did that so on that season i mean we you know we hand wrote everything and faxed it i said how long ago it was we didn't even have computers um but yeah that's what we did so yeah i've got fond memories of that because because obviously that was really formative didn't really realize at the time how formative that was well it was the the, uh, uh, the starting of the british snowboard scene wasn't it? a lot of the people who who came out there yeah you know i met everyone that year my ed met nick well i knew nick hamilton a little bit but you know became friends with nick hamilton met everyone that's still my friends and colleagues now you know did a lot of traveling did a great trip on that first season went like roads uh, did the did the thing we did like la rosier to latouille mm. and then stayed in latouille went heliboarding for the first time which was amazing you know for white lines um yeah it's so were you quite strategic with that when you came out of uni i wanted i want to i want to incorporate traveling snowboarding and and writing my journalist uh no no, I mean, I knew I wanted to be a journalist and I knew that I wanted to write because I'd, I'd always wanted to do that. Um, but I've really got to give Chris credit for it. You know, Chris Chris was had the vision for sure. Like he, because he's older than me and he had a good career as a snowboarder. So he'd already worked all that stuff out. He'd already worked out how to blag a living, you know, like, which is what it came Because he'd done seasons in Sham with Yeah, and he was Steve sponsored Bain. and he had some money from snowboarding. And he'd, he'd, you know, he, he knew the angles, he knew, he knew how to make it work for himself. So he, he just taught me really, you know, and, um, obviously I'm very, very grateful for that. He, he sort of brought me along with him really back then. Um, and that was a, that was a, the, the start of ACM essentially. I mean, not, yeah, I guess you could say that. I think we even do say that. Um, but yeah, that's the start of me and Chris working together. Yeah, and then we worked we worked together until two thousand and sixteen. Mm-hmm. So we worked together for twenty years, me and Chris. And you you met Chris initially in 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 Manchester. Yeah, he came to our school. Okay. Yeah, he came to the sixth form college. He's called uh, Chris. Always likes to tell the story of he gave me and my best mate drew a lift to Air Cadets when we were. 13 or 4 or 12. I didn't realize it went back that far. Yeah, like I think maybe even younger. I think maybe we were like 12 or something. And he yeah. was going out with Drew's sister. So that's how I met Chris. And then he and then he came to So that shows how the age gap. He's like 4 years older. He could drive. Um and he and he was a skater and he was a BMXer. His nickname at our school was American Kid because <laughs> because you know, obviously turning up for uh, turn up with a skateboard and BMX at an innocent city Manchester school was quite rare. So, um, so that's kind of, I was like into skating already, but like me, you know, Chris and his mates that he was snowboarding with were the first people that I, you know, they sort of, that's how I got into it really properly, mm. you know, when I was really young, like 14, probably. Um, and, and how was that? How, you you were obviously brought up in Manchester in the eighties. How how was that? Skateboarding as a launch pad. No, as as a just as a launch pad into life, if you like. Um, I mean, 
it's it, i mean manchester's pretty rough when i was growing up so mm. i don't want to overstate it but it was pretty rough and and like where i was brought up it was probably like one of the nicer bits of manchester really but it was rough so like i i had a I've always had a bit of a conflicted relationship with that town because obviously it's my hometown. I love it. And, you know, I grew up in, you know, Stone Roses album came out when I was 14. Oasis album came out when I was 18, whatever it is. So they, they were being a, being a teenager during those years was, was obviously brilliant, you know, um, but it was rough, like for sure. Mm. And being a skater, in that time was was pretty pretty rough you know like for sure so i i, I actually couldn't really wait to leave because I, i'm not i don't fight you know and that was the choice really fight or run so we used to run um mm -hmm. and you know it was it was quite it, looking back it's quite stressful you know used to like if i came around the corner of a street i would look in the street and see if there's anyone there and if there's someone there we'd, we'd just turn the other way and walk around like literally if we saw anyone in the street especially at night because chance because because it was quite high hit rate that you would get in a fight or get mugged or you know i mean it's like i say i don't want to overstate it it's just being a, a, a boy growing up isn't it like in a city well no i'm 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 fascinated with, with, with all all that i mean particularly with the the counseling and coaching courses I've been doing because, you know, they, they, a lot of them state that, you know, give me the child until he's seven, I'll, I'll show you the man, that, that, that the script, the sub, subconscious script that you operate on is from quite a, an early age. And obviously what you're surrounded by, um, you know, if, the, if there's fear, if there's lack, that it has a huge impact on how you yeah, I like, your life like, after. Like I said, I don't, I don't want to overstate that at all. Like it was, it was stressful and I didn't like it. And I, I never actually really got hit or beat up because I'm tall. But, you know, a lot of my friends used to get the shit kicked out of them in front of me quite regularly. I mean, I remember once we were walking in the place where I was brought Stratford. Me and a few mates, we were skating. We had baseball caps on. And it sounds ludicrous, but that was a, quite a confrontational thing for scallies, mm -hmm. you know. And this guy pulled a knife on us and just made us basically like fucking dance for like an hour, you know like and just like took up like just humiliate wow. just humiliated us really and we were very used to it like we didn't really bat an eyelid you know once it was once it was done we were like oh well that's that cunt you know again um but that that i think if you go back to the formative thing that you're talking about though um there's a lesser known fact about me which is i actually lived in kuwait until i was um about four or five i don't even know if you know that no i don't um, I, didn't. I told some friends of mine this some very dear friends of mine this recently and they um like one of like pete one of my mutual friend like you know one of my best friends in the world and mm. he was like what like and i was like yeah so basically my my dad worked for an oil company and when he like but you know like i think it was a pretty pretty big engineering slash oil company and when I was tiny that he, he got a job in QA in the Middle East, like tax-free money, expat. Mm -hmm. So they could buy a house. So my mum and my dad went over there for about, I think about a year. I don't remember, obviously I was, I was a small kid. And then my mum 
took me and my sister out the year after. I think we lived there for probably about two or three years, maybe, maybe even less. But I remember it very clearly. And we had uh, a good life because we, you know, we were expats living on kind of oil cash. And I went to private school for a couple of years. This is tiny. I was like three to five kind of thing. And then we came back to Manchester, I think probably when I was five or six maybe yeah so that so then we and then we moved back to stratford like that that's like i was born in stratford but that's what um so that i think that was very formative because um you know i it sounds like a a silly thing to point out but i'd like i'd flown a lot you know and it was rare to 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 fly and travel um and I'd seen another culture and, you know, so I think, I think, I think that, that was pretty. It opened your eyes to the possibilities of that. Well, I don't know how it works really. I'm not mm. saying I got back and was like, Hey, I'm going to travel. That's not how it was, but I think, you know, necessarily that's going to give you a different perspective, isn't it? Than, yeah. than someone who never left Manchester until they were like 15 or whatever, you know? And so coming back must have been quite a shock. But what what I'm also fascinated by the by the impact of like pr primary school um, and school in general. Because I, I, as you know, I had a pretty brutal experience with I'm I'm what six or seven years older than you. And in in Dublin, in my primary school, it was it was all corporal punishment. You you learnt through fear, and you got battered in front of the class if you couldn't recite your poetry or whatever. And so my memories of, of that uh, uh, is, is of fear, basically. So any challenge I'd shirk away from. Um, and that, that's what I learned essentially over, over a five-year period. Right. And, um, and that carried through to my adult life. And that's something that's only sort of dawned on me with all the work I've done on myself in the last you know, five or six years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, imp the impact of that, it makes total sense that, if you're exposed to that, that you're going to behave and, and that will sort of play out in your, in your life script, if you like. But yeah, I, what, what was it I, like I, for you? Well, like I remember getting back to Manchester, went to primary school. I mean, I liked school really until about, until I, until I got to later in, in senior school. But the thing is like, it's quite specific where I was brought up in Manchester because we had the 11 plus still. I think we were like only one of two. It probably still is because it's still it's still the same council, but we were one of only I think two um, areas in the country that still did the eleven plus. So we still had grammar schools and comprehensives. So primary school was about preparing you for the eleven plus. And I mean, I don't know if people even know what that is anymore, but obviously it's like the old. Ed educational it. system where you basically do an exam when you're 11 and then it dictates what secondary school you go to and the idea was that if you were academically bright you went to a grammar school and you got trained in that and if you failed you went to a secondary modern and you did more <laughs> you got trained to do the shit jobs so failed at 10 isn't it isn't it insane? yeah so so in my school in hindsight, and I haven't even thought about this in probably 30 years, but was set up for that 
my primary school and I, I I was the only lad that passed in the whole school. So like, um, and I was basically earmarked. In the whole school? In my year, yeah. It wasn't a big school though. So don't, but I was I, like in the whole year, I think about eight kids passed and or it was a tiny number and uh, I was the only boy. And I think from when I was a kid, I kind of got earmarked quite early on. I think they kind of were like, he'll, he's got a chance of passing this. So I, so your time then with, like, with, with your family background from home and with school, you, you got confidence and, and nurtured. Well, I, I, I think it's important to talk about my, the influence of my mum as well, because, you know, my mum was brought up dirt poor. You know, my mum is mm -hmm. from salford and my mum had a had a tough childhood and upbringing like again she's brought up in the 50s like there's a lot of poverty around there's a lot of but my mum was a real my mum wanted the best for us you know mm -hmm. my mum my mum very much like was determined that we were going to have a better life than her and she and my dad was as as well you know um and she, you know, they, they, they worked me and my sister, well, encouraged us to try and do well academically because they saw it as a way out. And especially my mum, you know, f for my mum, it was like, I think there was like that working class thing of like university, higher education being, being a, a standard to aspire to as, as a working class woman who'd, who'd had nothing the whole life. You know, for her, it was like, she wanted that for her kids so they 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 encouraged us to to study for that test um, i mean i remember studying for it and i remember i remember going in and saying i'd studied for it and everyone looking at me like i was mad you know like because no one else did everyone else just well i think everyone else just thought they'd fail i think everyone else just thought like well i'm going that way so um so yeah like i said i haven't thought about this in years but that looking back i think that's probably what was going on really because i was always like a bright kid you know yeah so though and what about your uh i mean you, you've got an, a really incredible work ethic and it, like we discussed earlier you're quite systems driven and to me it always seems that you, you you know you'll never shirk a challenge and it's very sort of strategic that right that here's a hurdle or there's the end goal here's a hurdle let's let's just do this was that do you think that was natural or was that instilled in, i don't i mean your, i don't recognize the person you just described to be honest so that's hilarious isn't it because really no because i think i think again it's it's one of the things you realize as you get older i don't know where that comes from but what i do know is that i'm only really personally fulfilled if i feel like i'm working hard and when i say working hard i'm using inverted commas but what i mean is like working as hard as I'm able to, you know, it's quite a, and I mean, personally and mentally, like I remember when I was doing my A-levels, um, I really, really wanted to do well at my A-levels because I really wanted to get out of Manchester. You know, I just, and, and going to university was like the easiest way I could do that at the time. And it's like I say, it's what I'd kind of been sort of told, told I would do really. So I, so I, I followed that path, you know, and it's quite interesting, a little, tangent i remember when i met ed lee 
and found out what he'd done at the same time. And I remember being amazed because Ed had just left home as soon as he could and he'd just gone traveling and he just, and I just remember thinking like, you know, I must've been 18 at the time. But I remember thinking like, wow, you can do that. You know, it's quite, and he thought I was really naive, Ed. You know, he thought, he he thought I had, he thought I'd had quite a trad upbringing, which I guess I had in a lot of ways in terms of academically and, and all that stuff. But I really, I really wanted to do well at my A-levels, like I say. And I had to do uh, a dissertation um, and I absolutely threw myself into it. I, I threw everything at it. And I think I got like the highest mark in that year, maybe, as in like on that whole like exam, not not just at my school. I think I got like, I think I got like 95% or something. Um, and, but I've, fucking work my ass off for that and i and i and i, I absolutely try i i put everything i had into that and that was really satisfying and 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 that was like i remember i've kind of this sounds ridiculous really but i've i feel like that's the standard of of that i kind of at that point i was like if you want to achieve something like good to your full potential that's that's kind of how hard you need to work really um and i don't often hit that <laughs> so um i i often do but i've realized that that that's quite tied to my self-esteem i don't know if that i, I don't know if it had its roots deeper than that probably it will have done I, i've never really again thought about much beyond that but so, when so I, why i say i don't recognize that person is because I, I often feel a lot of guilt about the fact that I'm not working as hard as I should do because I feel like I'm not f fulfilling the potential that I've probably got, which I think is why I do take on fairly ludicrous projects at times to try and push myself for the sake of pushing myself. Yeah, I mean, as, a, as, as an outsider, we've shared an office for, God, 10 years. Um, and, and there's, yeah, there's no question your standards are, are so high and your work ethic is incredibly strong, which is great. Um, and on, on one side, you say that it's um, like a means of an end, means to an end to get out of Manchester. And the other, the other was that it, it made you feel good by achieving those. But I didn't really realize that at the time. It's only when I've looked yeah. back the second part as a, as a grown up that I've realized that because I've really struggled with that thing over my life. And again, it's, <laughs> it's not really a struggle, you know, in the wider scheme of things, but there's the i i often i just don't feel like i've worked hard enough sometimes this probably sounds like a really fucking weird thing to say but then equally i've set my life up so i don't have to work that hard because i like the opportunity to fuck off and go surfing for months at a time and and snowboarding and stuff so it comes back to that kind of conflict thing that we talked about earlier you know this and and i haven't really got any better at enjoying those down times like mm when and that 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 to me seems a, a a real shame because like the way you've set acm up and the and the podcasts to facilitate an incredible lifestyle to incorporate you know your, your writing your love of writing traveling and action sports actually getting to do them and also with the success of the podcast you know a lot of these guests that you get on are at the top of their game in, 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 in all of those. 
Yeah, and and like again, it's it's ludicrous, isn't it? I don't, I don't know why that is. You know, I've I've when I say it's ludicrous, I mean yeah, like I should maybe give myself a bit of a break sometime. But I, you know, like I say, it's just I just think that's who I am. I don't I don't know I don't know what it is. I'm just trying to get better at at that stuff. Um, well, it's 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 really served you really well. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's funny to think back to that sort of, like I say, formative, that's definitely a word I've overused in this conversation. Um, like, yeah, I think, I think I, I'd be interested to think some more about where that, where that has come from, really. I think my mum's probably got a lot to do with it because my mum is like a proper grafter and, you know, my mum always she's a pretty ready ready-made role model really because she did move she, for her it was more of a uh you know it's, it's a survival thing to move out of that life that she was in as as it would as it was for a lot of working class people in poverty you know back in in the 50s 60s 70s and and still today but i think it was much more of an accepted thing to do back then if that makes sense yeah, I mean, what an amazing gift for for Joe, your sister, and and, and yourself. Yeah, um, I I hope you're you're okay talking about this, but as you know, I've I've gone through a pretty awful divorce uh, a couple of years ago, and and I know that was another hugely uh, formative <laughs> time in, in in your life as a there's, as a kid. That's the title of the podcast. Yeah, I've got it in as well. Yeah, the formative days. Yeah. Yeah, my parents got divorced when I was 11, maybe. Mm -hmm. Can't even remember. Um, maybe even younger, maybe I was 10. Yeah, like definitely the, probably the most defining moment of my life, I would say. Yeah, even though it was so long ago. I mean, it was, it really was a long time ago, you know, and, um, but yeah, I think a lot of the, I think when I look back at things that have led me to be the person I am today, then that's definitely up there for sure. Mm. In what ways, what, what were the, the, the really sort of positive things you, you took out of it? Well, I think that, I think they're positive and negative. I think I'm very judgmental. I think, I think I, I think I am, um, I think, you know, I think I felt my dad behaved badly and I felt, well, I'm going to say we, because me and my sister are a bit of a hive mind on this, you know, we, we just felt it was bad behavior and it wasn't even that bad really, you know, like he basically had an affair and left like, and he did some shitty things, but he was a young, he was a young bloke. You know, when I look back, he was like fucking 35 or something like, so yeah. I don't, I don't like, I'm not angry about that. And I'm not angry at all, really. But I think we felt like maybe it's best illustrated when, when, when you were going through your divorce, I remember we, we were talking and I said to you, we're talking about your kids. And I said, it's about the story you tell your kids like that, that that's the best thing you can do now because they're, I think your oldest is, was my age, right? When it happened to me and, um, yeah. and, 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 and like, basically that isn't what happened in my situation 
you know, like the parent, the grown-ups, I felt not my mum because my mum was behaved absolutely, you know, in such an exemplary fashion throughout the whole thing. But there, quite a lot of my, like the, the story was left up to us to kind of make up, if you like, because they just didn't have their shit together. And as is often the case, isn't it? That's a, yeah, yeah. I mean, my sister, you know, my sister was 17 and my sister's a formidable woman and she's been the same since she was, she was a, a kid. So she was from day one was a bit like, fuck this, you know? And she's like, her and my mom are like the most important people in my life when I was a kid. So I listened to my sister, you know, and I, I basically, and I agreed with her. Like I was like, yeah, this is fucked up. Like this is, this isn't right. This isn't how you should treat people. So I, we didn't let my dad off the hook. You know, um, when when it came to the dust had settled and, you know, I, I, I felt that he should behave in a certain way and he didn't. So we we haven't seen him since, you know, and um, and I was 11. So I think that was a judgment that I made at a very young age, which is sort of like the defining judgment of my life, really, because ever since then, that's the standard that I've kind of had, you know, and I don't think that's a wholly positive thing in the slightest. I think that's really been unrealistic and at times quite damaging because I think it's so absolute, you know, it's the decision you make as an 11 year old to, to basically be like, no, that's wrong. And if you're not going to admit that, then you can go fuck yourself, which is pretty much what we did. Although on all that, what I would say is I'd, like I said, I haven't spoken to anyone really from that side of the family since, but I'd fucking- from your love dad's to, side of the family. Yeah, but I'd love to know what their story is because I bet it ain't that. <laughs> you know, like, and that and that's, that's why I say, that's why when I say it's an absolutist thing, it's probably, that's just not what life's like. You know, the, the, there are shades of gray and that took me a long time to learn that. And I think when I was a kid, I was, a, and then when I say as a kid, I think the people that know me the best would really recognize that in me that like sometimes I can just be like intransigent on that to the point of, you know, it, it can be maddening for people because they're a bit like, that's just not what people like. You know, you've got to give people a break. And, and that's what I think is the real shame about the whole situation with like my relationship with that side of the family and stuff. It's like, it's just, it's just so unnecessary you know like it, it it didn't it didn't need to be like that but for whatever reason i just felt that it wasn't my place to be the grown-up but if i was going to ask be asked to make a grown-up decision then i was going to make what i felt was the right decision so that's what i did yeah and i mean talking to you and, and the advice you gave me on that was was so helpful at the time because it's so important i've three gorgeous daughters and it was really on my mind not to, to limit the damage as much as possible and I think Amanda myself for, for the most part got that right but it's it, well it's such a defining period it's such a defining age and if it's mishandled and you're treated as a pawn to score points against someone it's it's just wrong isn't it it's it's immature it's i don't it's I, not helpful. I, I have no patience for that at all mm. like if i i have a hard time listening to friends 
who are going through divorces now, if I hear them say stuff which is essentially that, I can't listen to that. Because mm. I, I just think it's like, you should be able, and this is where I'm being this trait, this absolutist judgmental trait, you know, but I personally, kids are kids and grownups are grownups. At some point you've got to take responsibility and you've got to be the grown up. And if you're getting divorced and you can't park your shit to make sure that your kid's not affected by that, then you want to have a fucking word for yourself. And like that, that is the shame of it. I think with, with my situation, because like I say, he's young, they were young. You know, my mum had my sister when she was 17, she had me when she was 22. You know, when he left my dad, my sister was 17. I was like 11 and he was a young guy, like he's a young bloke. Like it, you're allowed to make mistakes. You're allowed to have affairs and do dickish things. You know, everyone's allowed to do that, but it's, it's what you do afterwards that's, that's important. You know, and if you double down, then you're a prick if you ask me. And I can't, I, I haven't really got anywhere to go with that personally. Yeah. And, and, <clears throat> sort of related to that, I think with, with all negative cycles, whether it be mental health or whether it be divorce or, or whatever your shit or your baggage is, for me, it's all about breaking that cycle or doing your, your utmost, being conscious of it to, to, to limit the impact of whatever it may be on your kids. <clears throat> like with my, with my mental health issues, with anxiety and depression, I've been very mindful to talk openly with the girls about it um, and and try and make sure that they're happy expressing their feelings and that it's, it's not something that they have to make a story up about. That, yeah. you know, I, d I discuss the evidence from the, you know, the neuroscientific basis of, of anxiety through to the impact it had on me and just get it out there and talk about it. And yeah, for me, breaking that cycle is, is hugely important. Well, that's why I've got such admiration for my mum because you know, my mum, my mum had the, at the shittiest time, like whatever, you know, there's no, there's not a nice situation to be in. And she, she day one she said to me and my sister like it's just between me and your dad it's nothing to do with you guys he's, you do, you see him when you want he's your dad like he loves you and you should not take my side in this I mean imagine the strength to do that yeah and she, I did, mean, and it's she incredible. did and she did do that like she totally and she she stood by it you know yeah so yeah it shows incredible strength and just for the record as well but like uh, Amanda has been incredible with that as well yeah and, and of course like you know you a got, you got a strong loving mother you know yeah that, but it's interesting what you say about the cycles because obviously you know i don't think about this that often but okay i did think about it with covid actually because you know my dad was a heavy smoker and i'm sure he still is and he's probably what is he going to be like late 60s so I, I thought oh you know wonder what's going on there because he's pretty high risk really and whenever and occasionally i'll speak to my mum about it and she'll be like do you want to see him do you think if you feel about getting in touch with him um and i chatted to a friend of mine a couple of years ago i was quite drunk and got quite into it with him and he gave me quite a lot of shit he was like you need to fucking park this pride and you know he's going to be dead soon and you know you should see him and it kind of bollocked me really 
and uh and i was like yeah okay i can buy that but i don't know i don't i don't know what I'd, I, I i i wouldn't get what i wanted and i don't know if i can be fought with that really you know hmm. because i've had a couple of things where i've seen well, let me phrase this another way. Like, I, I think, I don't really believe that blood is thicker than water. I just don't believe that. Like, I believe that, you know, the closest relationships that I've got are, are, with, are with, yes, my sister, my mum, my wife, but, but, but my friends, you know, like, they're, they're, they're the closest relationships that I've got. Like, my family, I don't have those relationships with them for whatever reason. So I don't, I don't really buy that blood is thicker than water stuff i know i know for pe i know for a lot of people it's true the people that are lucky enough to have big close families but it's never been a thing for me really so i don't i don't i don't i when i've gone back to relationships with family you know i've had a couple where i've seen people from the family and stuff it's it's, it's just been a bit weird to be honest it's not like there's been oh wow we've got all this shared genes and history so we're going to hit it off like we're a house on fire it's it's just been a bit awkward and not that great and I, I i don't need it enough to go through that i don't think well i think that ties into the you know the, what we were talking about relationships with the kids that with any relationship you get out of it what what you put in and the example you lead with, with kids how you behave in divorce and stuff and, and i guess that's the same thing here like i know you value your friendships very much and you and you 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 put in real work into them you know you, you it's it's so easy i think to not bother to do that especially when you're married and you've got kids to to i don't know to nurture friendships and you've you know you, you do that I've, I've witnessed that and uh you know particularly and, and a public thank you for it as well that when i was when I was on my arse, when I, when I sort of fell apart, you you were totally there, and and that's what you do with your your, your friendships. Yeah, but I've always, yeah, it's important to me. It's true. Yeah, like, and I think, I again see, and it, like apparently my dad's like that though. It's quite funny. Like when um, one of the times I chatted to my mum about this was, um we had a bit we had a like you know i've been in bands my whole life and i was playing this gig and it was great it was a good gig it was really great like it was packed and it went really well and my mum was down from manchester at the time and at, and at the end of it she goes like i said what do you think she said oh i'm a bit sad actually i said why she said oh your dad would have really loved that and i was a bit like wow okay um why'd you say that and she said well because you because you, you're so similar you know like he was in bands he was the guy that always got everybody together. And I was like, all oh, right. Cause I don't remember that. So I spoke yeah. to my sister about it and she was, I said, and she's like, oh yeah, you're, you're really like him. Like in, insofar as like that side of your character. Um, so yeah, I have often wondered like that, that th <laughs> getting as many people in, as you can in a room, you know, is a notorious trait of mine that I think can do people's heads in sometimes um like you know can't go for a pint with one person i've got to invite 50 people you know um yeah like maybe that's just a, a personality thing that's that's in there i don't know really but again i i, I do recognize it but i've worked yeah I, 
I really value my, my close friendships. So I do work hard at them. So yeah, Matt, um, both of us have a, you know, a, a massive love of, of sport and particularly outdoors surfing and snowboard and skiing. And I found it to be so helpful for me, again, when I was getting over or, or, or working to manage my anxiety, that those times in the water surfing um, and out running or, or anything outdoors, I found incredibly helpful. Um, as helpful as any of the counseling and uh, you know any of the stuff sort of more based in in your head if you like um i know it's important for you as well i mean you built your life around it yeah your business. yeah i think it's only as i got older i realized quite how important it was really i think if i've got i kind of regret my 20s to a certain degree because i just got way too drunk and stoned <laughs> um and same here i i do sort of regret that really looking back which is a you know the most bog standard thing in the world and there's like there's a quote i quite like which is you know if you don't regret the things you did in your youth and you've probably not progressed enough which is a nice way of making yourself feel better about those um those things but like i i definitely let a lot of that stuff slide you know like i didn't really play football in my 20s you know, I grew up playing football and then I just sort of stopped playing when I got to about 18. I didn't really start again until I was about 30. Really regret that. Um, but I think, you know, when you're in your, I grew, you know, I grew up in a sort of binge drink generation as well. And yeah, I can't, it's only as I got older, I realized that it didn't really make me that happy and that that actually being active and balancing those things was 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 good for me. Yeah, same same for me. I I very much grew up obviously the Irish stereotype, but n now looking at it, it, an unhealthy relationship with drink. I don't I don't mean me. I mean as a culture, and the same in England. Like when I went to uni in uh, in London, you know, you getting hammered most nights yeah. was was fairly standard. Although I was always massively active, I always did sport around it, and even in the Alps. I think both for both of us, you know, we were always hiking. We, it was yeah, snowboarding I, like all day. You were active, very healthy, and then party at night. So. Yeah, again, it's whatever. It's not something to beat yourself up over, is it? Now, but no. But as you, as you said, my as I got older, my I found with my mental health that booze was definitely not a helpful. I mean, thing. I I had a bit of a hard Funny. time with in my 20s as well because like in my peer group i was conspicuously the worst snowboarder and like that was quite challenging for me looking back because you know there's, there's a lot of ego involved in that and i was you know i was basically hanging around constantly with professional snowboarders so i think it took me a long time to not judge myself to that standard and, and understand that it was kind of fine to be as good as i was at it and, that, and I was actually probably quite good at it and it didn't really matter. But, you know, it's a very competitive environment. And I think I definitely struggled from that and was inhibited by that, really. I think I kind of ducked out of it, really, when I look back. Um, as in, I, I think as a bit of a coping mechanism for that, I probably told myself that I didn't need it. So when I got to my 30s and, you know, 
rediscovered was a bit more honest with myself and you know started doing the things i enjoyed like snowboarding like i always did i always snowboarded like it but you know it was that, that, that's definitely true like that and i think once we got once we got a bit older and you know it's like i'm allowed to be bad at some stuff and good at other stuff you know like i was always quite good at football because i grew up with it um you know i'm like i took to surfing quite well when i you know swimming i'm you know all those things it's like it's, it's fine you're allowed to you're allowed to kind of you don't need to be the best at everything the whole time like you can you can like you, you're allowed to be shit and still enjoy something that took me quite a long time to learn that i think yeah i find that mad i mean even the even you using the word sh shit is hilarious because you know as a snowboarder as a, a, a swimmer a surfer um you know you're you're really good at all of them not not even shit compared to the yeah to but the it's just your own guys. ego isn't it and your own your own like yeah so I, I think i think getting older one of the great things i've enjoyed is just how much i enjoy sport and how much um i i do get out of it a friend of mine was doing a project and recently he he interviewed me for that and he said what would you tell your 16 year old self and I, my answer was don't give up the things that you enjoy now because you'll still enjoy them when you're 50 and like that i i really mean that you know like if i could go back and change something it would be that i just carried on skating to the same level because i kind of waylaid skating really as well and, and concentrated on surfing and snowboarding football i wish i'd stuck with a bit more i i really believe that because i do because it that that's true in my case like it all boiled down to what I liked when I was a kid as I got older and I, and I enjoy him more than ever now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the swims and stuff we did in between, in between the piers and, and, and surf trips and stuff with, with mates is, is so important to me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the re a big thing that I did was uh, I broke my collarbone in 2007 at the start of that season and it was fairly gutting. It was my first trip. It was January. And I broke my collarbone quite badly. So I was out for the season. Um, you know, whatever. That happens. And it was quite a bad break. So I was a bit like, oh, God, what am I going to do? So I went to physio and the guy was like, it's quite bad, this. You've got to be on it, you know. And he and he was... So I, I basically... I'd always wanted to swim the Hellespont. I'd always wanted to do that swim between Europe and Asia. And I was doing a lot of work as a travel writer at the time. So I was forever pitching daft stories. So I pitched the stories like I'll go to Turkey and do this swim because it's a race that they do every year. So I, I signed up for that, um, which was at the end of August. And this was in like February. So I had a really big deadline to get from the point where I couldn't move my shoulder to being able to swim in a 5K, no, 7K swim race. And obviously that was fairly motivating. And um, and again, that feeling that I described earlier about like working hard to achieve something, I kind of felt a similar level of satisfaction with that really when I did that. You know, that was like, and, and that definitely, that was when I was 31. So from that point, I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to keep, keep this level of activity because I just obviously get so much out of it. So, you know, I 
from that point I would book swims a lot and you know we would do challenges and you know I, I kind of realized that was good for me to motivate myself yeah and it's something I've become really conscious of particularly in the lockdown I'm really up for doing more of those sort of adventure sporty travel travel things when all this lifts yeah defo um and having a couple of pints yeah yeah that, well, that'd be nice that too yeah. nice to continue this uh, over a couple of pints um yeah just to finish up on matt i know um i know another thing really close to your heart is, is music and you're an accomplished musician and you, you got a a publishing deal as well um how important is has the music been to you uh again I, like very important but again i kind of look back and cringe a bit really when when i think back to because i think i think i probably could have enjoyed it more you know i've been i've been in like like i said been in bands like my whole life <clears throat> and but at one point i like really wanted to succeed at that you know and i probably killed it a bit for myself in the process um and probably like what i created suffered because of that <laughs> let's say so it was very yeah that thing you refer to is like a record i did with my wife probably about five years ago now actually i basically did an album in my 20s an album in my 30s probably got another one due in my 40s um and the one in my 20s was definitely like a band you know and it and and uh, like a lot of hard work a lot of years to get to a point where we could do a record with really good friends like classic classic situation and and the record was cool you know it was definitely like i thought it was great genuinely yeah so that but i but like it didn't you know obviously nothing really happened and then the band broke up and i had a load of songs left for a couple of years so then i started redoing them with my wife who's also a musician and that was great because there was absolutely zero pressure other than like we were just like well we've got these songs and we've got a load of gear let's just and we've got loads of friends who are great musicians so let's just try and actually do it do an album using all this stuff so that's what we did and that took about three years really in spare time you know very very lucky that i got some super talented people to play on that um so finished that and that was like a really nice i was just glad to get it done you know i just was like i'm just gonna try and do this as well as i can do you know and not worry about not worry about it in the slightest i'd have left it on a hard drive to be honest and then i sent it to a couple of mates who were interested in it and i sent it to one of my mates who's like a really successful producer and and he was like this is really good and i was like oh cool and, and i was like quite driven by wanting to make something that my friends are impressed with in that community because again it's like any little community like that it's very competitive and you want your friends to think stuff's good that's just a very human so i was lucky enough for like i still am involved in a community of musicians in brighton still playing a country covers band at the minute um, and we've always just played in each other's stuff, helped each other and tried to motivate each other. Been very lucky to be involved in that. And um, 
so I just was really wanted them to like it, you know. And 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 so my mate was like, yeah, it's good, it's really good. I'm going to pass it on to somebody. Um, and yeah, it, randomly enough, so then it got passed on to a little label, and they got in touch pretty much straight away and were like, it's great, really like it. Um, so would you be up for signing a publishing deal off it? And uh, yeah, we 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 did that, and it was great because they were just a bit like do you want a tour? And I was like, no, <laughs> I really, no, not in the slightest. Do you want to do any gigs? No. Um, so they were like, okay, cool. So we'll just put it out for ads and, and you know, they call them sinks. So, um, so yeah. What an achievement. Yeah. Mm. It's nice to get a little piffling royalty check every six months, you know, it's been, but it was just a good, I think, I think personally it was, it was good to do it for the right reasons, you know, just to do it for, for the sake of doing it. And that's the paradox of creativity as well, isn't it? You know, the minute you stop worrying about who's going to like it. And like I say, I, wa I wanted to, I wanted my friends to like it, but I very much did please myself on that record. Like I didn't, I did you know, I, I just was like, I'm just going to do what I think's good. And, um, I think it's the truism, isn't it? Then that's when stuff starts getting, getting, original and better really so but yeah music these days uh i don't like the podcast kind of filled that gap really and i i, I almost mean literally there because you know side side hustle side project stuff isn't it you know i've got a full-time job obviously that's pretty all-encompassing running the agency with my friend jojo and you know music was definitely like the the, the side like what i did on the side and then I had the idea for the, I finished the record and I had the idea for the podcast pretty much straight away. And then that's just taken up all that time, you know? So I do, I, I still play with these mates in this country covers band, which is just, it's just like middle-aged bloke club, you know, go to, go to some studio, get a load of beers. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's fun. It's really good. So we still do a gig every year or so about that. Um, but I haven't really done much for a while. Like, I, I I do. I've got no doubt that I'll make another record for sure because I just think. But I'm not worried about it. Like I'm not gonna. You know, I think it'll be. I think it it'll be when I've got something that's worth saying. I'll probably try and write some songs again. Great. And um, yeah. Just to wrap up, Matt. What what um achievements do you want to get ticked off in the next five years? Is there anything on top of the podcast on on top of the podcast um, that you're hankering to do? As in, like what work-wise? Yeah, work or 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 personally. Um, I mean, I wrote a film script about four years ago that I just did again for the sake of doing it. Really, it's like an interesting project because I, I thought it was a really good idea. So I just sort of fired into it. it took about a year. Um, started from scratch. Had no idea how to write a film script, and I was that was that was a great experience. And I kind of did that for this for the sake of doing something really hard. You know, I just thought, wow, that's okay. Yeah, I could give that a go. And that took like loads of discipline to get that done. And 
I like I I did three drafts of it, and then again, life took over a little bit. So I, I would like to go back over that and finish that again. I don't really give a fuck if anything happens with it. It's just more to it's a bit of unfinished business that because I think it was I think it was all right. I think it's pretty good. Like I, I showed it to people and they were like really enthusiastic about it. I showed it to a couple of professionals and they were like, yeah, it's cool. Needs a lot of work, which is fine. That's that's how you learn. So that's why I was like, okay, I need to do another draft. And then again, that was around podcast time. And the podcast just took on such a life of its own so quickly that obviously I just really threw myself into that. So I'd like to, I'd like to have another crack at that. Because at one point I had a lot of ideas for scripts like I was, you know, I had about three or four planned, um, which is still around. But I probably need to clone myself to do that. Um, well, maybe I'd, one for I'd, the future. Yeah, I'd, I'd like, I'd be happy if the business was still thriving, given the current situation. I think that's, I've, I feel it, I think it will be, but you know, that'd be good. Um, I want to do the boat trip that we had planned. Maldives, got it. That, that got scuppered by COVID. Um, I'd like to do one really good turn on a surfboard. <laughs> Same here. You know, can can certainly turn a surfboard. Don't think I've ever done a good turn. So that's and with, that's with the with the podcast. You've obviously been. I mean, it's been amazingly successful. You've obviously been enjoying enjoying it. How, how do you want to develop that? Where do you see that going? Um, I think I'd be interested to see if it could stand alone it's a bit of a beast that like it could become as big as i was perhaps prepared to commit time to and again i sort of did it just because i thought it was a good idea rather than thinking i'm gonna become a podcaster like it's just obviously not how it happened you know i just i just thought ah that's a really good idea i might give that a go and then you know now just endless stuff to do with it. Like, you know, me and our friend Owen, who's one of my best mates, he's a great photographer. We try to do a book off the back of it. And I think we will do it, but it's just a mission, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I'd but be But it's interested. exciting, the potential with it all. Yeah, I think it could, I think it could lead somewhere, definitely. I think it could be a standalone thing where it could earn, it could make money and earn its keep which it doesn't at the minute, but that's fine. I don't do it for that reason. But I, I think the last, well, since lockdown, the audience has really grown and across the world as well, which is really gratifying. So yeah, be, I'm just going to keep, keep going with it. Keep, I really like it. You know, it's, it's a great, it's, it's a great kind of Venn diagram of my interests, let's yeah, say. Yeah, it's, it's amazing what you've done with it. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, and it's been, it's always like, it's challenging the whole time. You know, even like now having to do them all by Zoom and like have to try and speak to people. Like I interviewed a guy in Hawaii the other day, never met him. You know, to try and get that rapport and over over this kind of thing is is quite challenging. Yeah, but yeah. It's good, yeah. Well, listen, uh, thank you so much for uh, for doing the, doing the interview with me. And hopefully yeah, no we, worries. Pleasure. Hopefully we can hook up for... Maybe a surf on Sunday or a pint yeah. in the next couple of months. <laughs> yeah, defo. Pretty keen for that. Yeah. Nice one, Matt.